Well, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Turn to the 15th chapter of Exodus. Do you ever repeat yourself? (laughs) Um, Moses repeats himself a little bit here in Exodus. Uh, We we read the events of Exodus at least twice uh, here. Uh, It was so big, certainly worth repeating. Maybe you've shared a story with a friend and then you share the same story with another friend. But the, you know, you add in a little detail or maybe take out a little detail, same event, but, uh, but you're repeating it. And that's what Moses does here in Exodus 15. He's sharing the events of Exodus, God's deliverance, his strong hand, victory over the Egyptians, but he's doing that in poetic form. So we're moving from the story, prose form of literature to song and poetry in chapter 15. It speaks powerfully into our own response to the Lord's deliverance. So the Israelites have seen the salvation of the Lord and now they sing of that salvation. So we're going to read the first 21 verses of chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His host He cast into the sea. And His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of Your majesty, You overthrow Your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters." Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea." This is the word of our God in song. Let's pray together. Lord, you have given us a great song to sing, a song of deliverance, a song of power, a song of hope, 
And Lord, this is the word that we need, a word that we need this morning. We pray that as you work to perform this word, as you work it deeply into our hearts, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and the salvation you have worked for us through your one and only Son. Lord, work in our hearts now. We don't presume to understand or even apply unless you work in us by your Holy Spirit. So we ask you to come and to do that now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I met Mike while I was trimming a little patch of grass in front of his condo. It was probably no bigger than what's in front of the pew here. And, and Mike was standing on the sidewalk and I knew he was waiting for me to finish. So after I was, I was done, I went over and thinking he wanted to make a comment or a request. But he just smiled and said, thank you. Thanks for cutting the grass. And we struck up a conversation and Mike ended up, he knew my dad from working at Steelcase and was just beaming about this. And he said, well, we, we need to get together and have coffee. And so I went and continued the, the work. And not long after that, I came back, had coffee with Mike, and we were talking about music we were listening to, uh, work, what was going on at work, and then talking about what the Lord was teaching us from his work. Um, Mike has some physical handicaps. So it makes it hard to walk, hard to understand his speech. Uh, but every time we would mention the name of Jesus, he would beam just get a smile and just, and his voice would get real high. He started talking, yes, yes, that's it. And then he'd, and we'd talk a little bit more, and, you know, again, we'd, we'd mention the name of Christ, and he'd break into song. And I, I didn't know what the song was most of the time. Um, kind of like that little mug that Katie has, caution prone to, to break into spontaneous song. That, that was Mike uh, through our conversation. It was just awesome to see his heart overflow uh, with praise to the Lord. So my question is, how do we respond to the deliverance of God? How should we respond to the salvation of God, the victory that he has over his enemies and our enemies? Think of that parable in Luke chapter 15. We read of two sons, and we learn that both of them are lost. Uh, Both of them are in need of deliverance. And one comes back to his father. You remember this? And he's, he's penitent. He's acknowledging his desperation, his need. And what's the response? Well, the father calls everybody in. It's time to celebrate. The son who, who was lost has been found. Desperate. Now he's been delivered. And instead of joining the celebration, the other brother is angry and bitter. Uh, sort of self-righteous giving no gratitude to the Father uh, for His mercy. How should we respond to the Lord's mercy and deliverance? So the song of Moses is a fitting response, even a necessary response, uh, for the deliverance of God's people. The song is very personal and present, yet as, as we're reading it, it carries that great hope for the future. Uh, it is God's sovereignty and His His saving power that inspires praise and instills confidence. Those will be the main headings of our thoughts on this song. Mercy of God, His saving action, inspires praise, instills confidence. Salvation demands a response. This is is a suitable response in song. Music works like this. It works the, the truth in deep to our hearts. It shapes our hearts. And the generations to come are going to learn the importance of this event in Israel's history through this song. 
And so Moses and the people, they, they begin their song by placing it in context and then praising God for who He is. He's triumphed over the horse and the rider, the riders being the, the charioteers and Pharaoh's army. And he's done this by his own strength. The Lord is my strength and my song or my strong power. Moses emphasizes these, these first few verses, again in verse 11, the attributes of God that make him so great, that make, it, make him worth singing to and singing about. The Lord is his name. He's unchanging. He's the self-existent God. The Lord has all power. He is supreme over all. He's just. Notice the people praise Him for the rightness of His wrath in verses 6 and 7. That sounds a bit strange to our modern ears. Um, Praising someone for wrath? That seems a little strange. Um, But when we're talking about the divine wrath of God, that's very different than our human wrath, our human anger which is often hit and miss and misplaced. Um, God's wrath is always just. And some, some commentators here make a connection with the use of the word stubble there in verse 12 and the stubble that the people of Israel are forced to, uh, to gather for the bricks in chapter 5. You may remember that. And the Lord is, is justly giving now what is deserved. It has come back around to the Egyptians. He consumes them like the stubble they forced upon Israel. There's nothing, no one like the Lord, verse 11. He's holy. His love is steadfast. This is that covenant-keeping loyalty, the faithfulness of God. Verse 13. The Lord is to be praised for who He is, what He has done. And verses 4-13 through 13 really focus on this, the character of God. Some in verse 3 as well. We read that the Lord is a man of war. Again, that's a little dissonant with our ears. The Lord does not like war. He's not bloodthirsty or itching for a fight. He is the divine warrior. He's willing to fight against the evil and defend his own, defend the ones that he loves. He acts, he doesn't act out of tyranny, but with absolute justice. So we see his action is is personal. It's coming from a very real person. The person of God. The language of verse 8 captures this. Sweet language. At the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. And so this this metaphorical language shows that that God is not just a a force for Obi-Wan or Luke Skywalker or Kylo Ren to control. Um, There is a personal nature here to his actions. The administration of this justice. The song keeps repeating this the just action of God in different ways. Notice verse 7. How justice is actually part of God's majesty. The greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. That's not a picture that many have of God. You know, both both in the church and out of the church. For so many, God God is His mercy and, and, and His love is sort of this. Soft, mushy, sentimental, uh, you know, forever tolerance of opposition against his character and the law that proceeds from that character. But that's not the vibe we get from this song or the rest of the story. God is patient. He is merciful. He's calling people everywhere to repent. But he does get perfectly mad and smash his enemies 
And he's right and majestic in doing this. People praise him for what he's done. He gets all the credit here. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I were, were driving to Memphis. As we got closer on the horizon, we could see you know, the, the headquarters, the big pyramid for the Bass Pro Shop. And you can't miss this as you're driving through Memphis. Even though the, the pyramid is not in the center of the city, it is sort of iconic to the skyline of Memphis. So as the people sing this song, it is unmistakable who is at the center of the action. It can't be missed. Notice that the song doesn't mention anything about Moses. It doesn't mention anything about you know, how quickly the people of Israel crossed on that dry land you know, and how faithful they were. We are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting. That's not the song. Right? God is the champion. He's at the center of everything that takes place here. It's His right hand that has worked mightily. A song of praise, of gratitude to that mighty work. And the psalmist carries this tune. Read it this morning. Our call. Praise the Lord for His mighty deeds. Repeating the words of the prophets. Isaiah 12 is one example. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. We are to give praise and thanks to God for His salvation, for His favor in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have even more reason to sing now than the people who are standing safely on the other side of the sea. Jesus, our divine warrior, is victorious over Satan, the powers of evil. He's victorious for us. 1 Corinthians 15, we hear this. Then comes the end. When He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Our response to the victory and favor of God in Christ is to celebrate in song, to sing. James Montgomery Boyce, he described a music song this way. It's a gift from God that allows us to express our deepest heart responses to God and His truth in meaningful and memorable ways. Our hearts joining with our minds to say yes, yes to the truths that we are embracing. So we sing like we've been doing this Sunday morning for very good reason. To say yes to the truths that we embrace. We can't help doing this. It's a response of our hearts to that great mercy and grace that God has shown us. You know, we had the opportunity to do this last uh, Sunday evening. I encourage you to avail yourself of those opportunities as much as possible. We learn a lot about God's Word and how to interpret God's Word through song. Last Sunday night, Heath you know, shared some of the history behind the hymns that we sang. and We could see the progression of thought in many of these hymns, how the experience of the hymn writer shaped uh, the verses. Uh, so it really was singing with substance. Um, the song of Moses on the lips of the people emphasizes who God is, what He has done, and it does this pretty specifically. What God has done should characterize the hymns of the church. Good hymnody helps us um, remember and recount God's 
saving work, the redemption that Christ has accomplished. So this can help us filter what we're hearing and singing in the life of the church or we're gathered together in our homes. We read through a song like this. It just invites us to share in the celebration. I think something else, this song also shows us our limits, the real human limitations when it comes to our own strength and our own ability. The people of Israel had just experienced this deliverance firsthand. Um, They're trapped, they're helpless, they're desperate, they're done unless God does something. Unless He fights for them. Our strength and our abilities as human beings to meet, well, to meet this week, to meet the challenges of life, we just don't have that. To really accomplish what it is we need the most. You look at the church, you look at the, the community, the nation, the world, who can take care of this mess? Who can put an end to the corruption? Who can defeat Satan but God alone? So if you haven't faced this realization in, in life yet, you will, you will often. And that is that you are not enough to meet life. You're not enough for the battle. You'll find you're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not quick enough. You're not patient or kind enough. But God is. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. The Lord must be our strength. He must be our salvation. He is more than enough to meet life and to ultimately take care of the mess. The Lord's deliverance, it inspires praise, it also instills confidence. See this in verses 14 through 18. The song mentions the nations that inhabit uh, Canaan, the land of Canaan. And people are heading in that direction, or they will be uh, soon. Um, and they have every confidence that God will give them the land. That these nations that, that are mentioned here will be no match for the Lord. And many of the verbs you notice in these verses read as if they've already happened. You know, the peoples have heard and they tremble. Now are the, the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. These are in the perfect tense, which usually describes a finished action. But these things haven't happened yet. The language indicates how confident the people of God are that they'll be victorious, fulfilled, that the Lord will fulfill His purpose. And so those who have studied the original language closely, they often refer to this as a prophetic perfect. Describing a future event or time as if it already happened. Isaiah does this all over the place. Isaiah 5, 9, 10, um, where it's still the perfect tense, described as if he's already been there, seen that. Um, I mean, we know the strength of the Philistines. They're unbeatable unless the Lord um, helps His people. Um, Yet they sing that, that pangs have seized the Philistines. Edom, Moab, and Canaan are all mentioned here in the same order that the Israelites are going to face them as they journey into the promised land. So each of these confident assertions would prove true as the story unfolds. The Lord's power and majesty will be known. 
by all the nations. He'll take His people into the land and dwell with them there. We read of the Lord's holy abode in verses 13, 17. That mountain, that holy sanctuary where He lives with His people. So, so now we're getting more of that very big picture language. Here's the point of it all language. Exodus is more, more about just more than just leaving the slavery of Egypt. It's about restoring the relationship between God and those He has freed. It's looking ahead to the Lord dwelling with His people forever. They're going to come to Mount Sinai on this journey. They'll eventually build a tabernacle and then later a temple. It's all moving in fulfillment of that goal. The redeemed living in close proximity and peace with God. So this song holds out that hope, confident of victory, and a life with God in their midst. It's a life we have now in Jesus. Look forward to with absolute certainty. So certain that we can sing about it. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore Thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I loved Thee, my Jesus, tis now. Every day, God is bringing more and more into His holy dwelling. Every day, there's more and more people who are able to sing that. Coming into Mount Zion, the city of God, through faith, He binds us to Christ, leads us in that heavenly splendor, the promised land. And that's you know, the, the dirt of the Old Testament conquest, just a step, a picture of our lasting inheritance. See, the Lord Jesus is victorious. He brings, he brings His kingdom. He doesn't do this with a sword. He does this through the sacrifice of Himself. And that kingdom is coming in full at His return. Jesus tells us this in John 14, that He's preparing a place for His disciples to live, a place to live with Him. In the revelation given to John, we see the, the full reversal of what has happened in the garden, the full shalom of God, the Lamb and His bride dwelling together. So our response to the saving work of Christ, the hope of living with Him forever, it should be a life of gratitude, a life of song. Now we can sing about what God has done all day long. We should. But if you're, if you're really going to worship then these words must be yours. You know, there's a lot of first-person language in this song. This was personal for Moses. It was personal for Moses' older sister, Miriam. She leads the women in this refrain. The people had first-hand experience of what God can do. The salvation of our God is personal. It's much more, but it's certainly not less than that. The heart that's been changed. Is Jesus your strength? Is Jesus your salvation, your hope? Then He must be your song. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Is that true for you? You really sing that from the heart? Is it that personal for you? All those who come to Christ, dependence and faith, are going to join that great chorus of the redeemed. 
And that, that choir is going to be singing. After 10,000 years, we're still singing that song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Let's pray together. Father, it's this song that you give us in which we rejoice. May the gratitude of our hearts overflow in praise and thanksgiving to you. Lord, what wondrous love you have shown to us. What mercy in delivering us from the clutches of sin, freeing us to live and serve as you've made us. Freeing us to live with you forever. Lord, we thank you for these great and precious promises. Be glorified in the song of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.